Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to remind all of you that we have a live streaming event coming up. That will be on March 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We will be talking about some of history's weirdest and wildest disputes and feuds and other arguments. This is on a platform called Looped. So if you have a ticket to the show, you basically get a front row seat to our live virtual stage. And then we also have, as a VIP add-on, a meet and greet with Holly and me. You'll use the Looped app to have a call with each of us because we will not be in the exact same place when we do this event. So again, that is March 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can go to loopedlive.com, that is L-O-O-P-E-D-L-I-V-E.com to buy tickets. We've also got the link pinned up at the top of all of our social feeds. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. This is part two of our episode on Methodist minister and indigenous rights activist William Apis. Apis was Pequot, and in our previous episode, we talked about how he was raised primarily by a white family before running away and joining the militia, fighting in the War of 1812, and being ordained in 1831. 
Throughout a lot of that time, he had also struggled with alcohol misuse, and consequently, after becoming a minister, he was also a temperance activist. He set up temperance societies in multiple places where he lived. Apis's religious work and writing consistently stressed the inherent humanity and worth of indigenous people. But in later years of his career, he also became involved in more direct activism in Mashpee, Massachusetts. We're going to be talking about all of that today. As we noted in part one, William Apes was traveling all over New England, and often the congregations he addressed were racially integrated. Some of them had come to see him because of his reputation as a minister, while others were more interested in the relative novelty of a preacher who looked like him. He was Pequot, and his mother probably also had African ancestry. In 1831, Apes started preaching to predominantly Black congregations in Boston, and many of the people there were abolitionists. Apis gave one known address on the subject of slavery, although its text does not seem to have survived. But it does seem like his involvement with the abolitionist movement led him to broaden his ideas from a focus on the oppression of indigenous people to the oppression of people of color all over the world more generally. While in Boston, Apes also met Cherokee activist Elias Boudinot. We talked about his namesake, lawyer and politician Elias Boudinot, in part one. This Elias Boudinot had been educated at the Foreign Mission School in Cornwall, Connecticut. That was a school that had been established with the goal of, quote, civilizing indigenous students and preparing them to be missionaries so they would return to their native communities and carry on that work. A lot of this same mindset carried over to the systems of boarding schools in the U.S. and residential schools in Canada that reached their peaks a few decades later. We talked about the Foreign Missions School on the show back in 2014, although we didn't really talk about the students' later lives in that much detail. By the time Boudinot and Apes met, Boudinot had started a newspaper called Cherokee Phoenix, which published articles in both English and Cherokee, and he was advocating against the removal of the Cherokee people from the southeastern United States. Apes's preaching and writing were already critical of what he saw as the hypocrisy of white Christians. Things like trying to convert indigenous people to Christianity in the name of civilizing them while continuing to treat them as so-called heathens afterward. He became more strident and direct in these criticisms while working among Black abolitionists and indigenous activists like Boudinot. And he faced retaliation for this. In 1831, a white man broke into his home in Groton, Massachusetts, and beat him. In 1832, he filed suit against a Methodist clergyman named John Reynolds for libel. Reynolds had made a bunch of unsubstantiated allegations about Apis doing things like buying lottery tickets and misappropriating donated money. It's possible that this was connected to Apis not supporting Reynolds' efforts to become an elder in the church. In 1833, Apes printed The Experiences of Five Christian Indians of the Pequot Tribe. As that title suggests, these were five spiritual narratives, Apes's own, his wife Mary's written in her own words, and those of three women, Hannah Caleb, Anne Wampy, and his aunt Sally George, which were presented as having been told to Apes. At the end of this collection, Apes also printed An Indian's Looking Glass for the White Man, which was a scathing essay about injustice and religious hypocrisy. 
We're going to read a significant portion of this because it's so evocative of his advocacy and his thought process. It began, quote, having a desire to place a few things before my fellow creatures who are traveling with me to the grave and to that God who is the maker and preserver, both of the white man and the Indian, whose abilities are the same and who are to be judged by one God, who will show no favor to outward appearances but will judge righteousness. Now I asked if degradation has not been heaped long enough upon the Indians. He went on to say, quote, I know that many say that they are willing, perhaps the majority of the people, that we should enjoy our rights and privileges as they do. If so, I would ask why are not we protected in our persons and property throughout the Union? Is it not because there reigns in the breast of many who are leaders a most unrighteous, unbecoming, and impure Black principle, and as corrupt and unholy as it can be, while these very same unfeeling, self-esteemed characters pretend to take the skin as a pretext to keep us from our unalienable and lawful rights. I would ask you if you would like to be disenfranchised from all your rights merely because your skin is white and for no other crime. I'll venture to say these very characters who hold the skin to be such a barrier in the way would be the first to cry out, Injustice! Awful injustice! Apis went on to question why, if white people were somehow superior, were there so many fewer of them than people of color? Quote, but reader, I acknowledge that this is a confused world, and I am not seeking for office, but merely placing before you the Black inconsistency that you placed before me, which is ten times Blacker than any skin that you will find in the universe. And now let me exhort you to do away with that principle, as it appears ten times worse in the sight of God and candid men than skins of color, more disgraceful than all the skins that Jehovah ever made. If black or red skins or any other skin of color is disgraceful to God, it appears that he has disgraced himself a great deal, for he has made 15 colored people to one white and placed them here upon this earth. From there, he detailed what he saw as a core hypocrisy in how many in the white Christian community had approached race. Quote, Now let me ask you, white man, if it is a disgrace for to eat, drink, and sleep with the image of God, or sit or walk and talk with them? Or have you the folly to think that the white man, being one in 15 or 16, are the only beloved images of God? Assemble all nations together in your imagination, and then let the whites be seated amongst them, and then let us look for the whites, and I doubt not it would be hard finding them. For to the rest of the nations, they are still but a handful. Now suppose these skins were put together, and each skin had its national crimes written upon it. Which skin do you think would have the greatest? I will ask one question more. Can you charge the Indians with robbing a nation almost of their whole continent and murdering their women and children and then depriving the remainder of their lawful rights that nature and God require them to have? And to cap the climax, rob another nation to till their grounds and welter out their days under the lash with hunger and fatigue under the scorching rays of a burning sun? I should look at all the skins, and I know that when I cast my eye upon that white skin, and if I saw those crimes written upon it, I should enter my protest against it immediately and cleave to that which is more honorable. 
and I can tell you that I am satisfied with the manner of my creation fully, whether others are or not. He went on to say, quote, Did you ever hear or read of Christ teaching his disciples that they ought to despise one because his skin was different from theirs? Jesus Christ being a Jew, and those of his apostles certainly were not whites. And did not he who completed the plan of salvation complete it for the whites as well as for the Jews and others? And were not the whites the most degraded people on the earth at that time? And none were more so, for they sacrificed their children to dumb idols. And did not St. Paul labor more abundantly for building up a Christian nation amongst you than any of the apostles? And you know, as well as I, that you are not indebted to a principle beneath a white skin for your religious services, but to a colored one. He also recognized that the religion he was espousing was being used for oppression, saying, quote, I would ask, what is all this ado about missionary societies if it be not to Christianize those who are not Christians? And what is it for? To degrade them worse? To bring them into society where they must welter out their days in disgrace merely because their skin is of a different complexion? What folly it is to try to make the state of human society worse than it is. How astonished some may be at this. But let me ask, is it not so? Apis ended this by saying, quote, Do not get tired, ye noble-hearted. Only think how many poor Indians want their wounds done up daily. The Lord will reward you. And pray you stop, not till this tree of distinction shall be leveled to the earth and the mantle of prejudice torn from every American heart. Then shall peace pervade the Union. Something else Apes learned about in Boston was an effort by the people of Mashpee to secure their own autonomy and protect their tribal lands. So he went to help, and we're going to talk about that after a sponsor break. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the 
lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper... You're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When William Apis got to Cape Cod, Massachusetts in May of 1833, the community of Mashpee was in the middle of a six-year dispute with both the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the trustees of Harvard College. Mashpee had been established during the colonial era as sort of a proto-reservation for displaced indigenous people. Many of them were Wampanoag, but people from other nations were included as well. Initially, Mashpee was supposed to have a set of five overseers, and by law, two of them were required to be white. But before long, all five of the overseers were white, which left an indigenous community under the paternalistic control of white people without any voice in their own governance or the government of Massachusetts. Additionally, by the early 19th century, the white community was encroaching into Mashpee, and the Board of Overseers was not doing anything to stop it. The dispute with Harvard went back to 1711, when a man named William Williams, not the same William Williams we talked about in part one, I don't think, left a bequest. This bequest was meant to pay for a minister who would Christianize the people of Mashpee. The Harvard trustees oversaw this bequest and appointed the minister. By 1833, the minister was the Reverend Phineas Fish. With few exceptions, though, the people of Mashpee did not think Reverend Fish was particularly interested in their spiritual or their physical needs, and they also did not care for his preaching. A Wampanoag minister known as Blind Joe Amos, who was Baptist, had started holding his own services. But Reverend Fish was refusing to give up control of the town's meeting house for him to use for those services. 
Uh, Amos is usually described as the first ordained Mashpee Wampanoag minister, and he had become blind as a child. This dispute became known as the Mashpee Revolt, although most of it was carried out through written documents, petitions to the legislature, and the like, rather than the kind of physical violence that might usually come to mind when you hear the word revolt. William Apes was deeply involved in this work in collaboration with the people of Mashpee, who described him in written documents as their brother. When Apis got to Mashpee, he started by meeting with the Reverend Fish and went to one of his services. He was surprised when he got there that there was nobody there almost to see the Reverend Fish preach, but then he discovered that the people he had expected to see were all attending the services that were being held by Joe Amos. Once he realized what was going on, he asked the people of Mashpee what their needs were and then encouraged them to call a full council on May 21st of that year to discuss their grievances and their steps forward. He eventually brought his wife and children to Cape Cod as well. One of his first steps was to help the Mashpee craft a set of demands, which they called an Indian Declaration of Independence, to present to the Massachusetts legislature. These demands read, quote, resolved that we as a tribe will rule ourselves and have the right to do so, for all men are born free and equal, says the Constitution of the country resolved that we will not permit any white man to come upon our plantation, to cut or carry off wood or hay, or any other article without our permission after the 1st of July next. Resolved that we will put said resolutions in force after that date, July next, with the penalty of binding and throwing them from the plantation if they will not stay away without. They drafted a set of demands to send to Harvard as well. Quote, that we will rule our own tribe and make choice of whom we please for our preacher, that we will have our own meeting house and place in the pulpit whom we please to preach us, that we will publish this to the world if the above reasons and resolutions are not adhered to and the Reverend Mr. Fish discharged. On June 25th, the people of Mashpee set up their own government and posted no trespassing signs on their land. Not long after, Apes learned that a group of white men was taking wood from the Mashpee woodlot, and he and several others went to try to stop them. White neighbors complained to the legislature that they were being threatened, branding Apes as an outside agitator. Apes was arrested on charges of riot, assault, and trespass, along with several people from Mashpee. Apes wound up being convicted and sentenced to 30 days in jail. He was also ordered to pay a fine of $100 along with a $100 bond to ensure he would keep the peace for a period of six months. While jailed, he wrote a piece called Memorial of the Marsh P. Indians. That's a spelling that was in use at the time. This was published in William Lloyd Garrison's abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator, on February 1st, 1834. This was addressed to the Senate and House of Representatives of the Massachusetts General Court. Apis pointed out the disparity between the sympathy the people of Massachusetts were showing to the Cherokee, who were fighting against being removed from their land, and what was happening in Mashpee. Quote, While ye are filled with the fat of our father's land and enjoy your liberties without molestation, will not this honorable body be as benevolent to us poor Mashpee Indians who are sighing and weeping under bondage as ye are to the poor Cherokees? This document made a number of points. That the government had been set up for Mashpee with its board of overseers was unconstitutional. 
that it had been imposed without the consent of their forefathers, that they were not being allowed to worship according to their own views and feelings, that they were being kept out of their own school and meeting houses on their own land, and that their white neighbors were encroaching on their land, including taking wood, hay, and food crops and fishing from Mashpee waters. This document called for the community of Mashpee to be able to see to its own governance with the Board of Overseers discharged. After an extensive back and forth, as we said, this dispute went on for six years, the people of Mashpee took up their cause during the Massachusetts Legislature's general session, which Apis attended along with delegates from Mashpee. And Massachusetts did restore some autonomy to Mashpee. They incorporated the area as the Marshpee District, which was entitled to the same process of self-government as any other Massachusetts community. In 1836, Mashpee also convinced Harvard to provide them with half the funding from that 1711 bequest for them to use to hire a clergyman of their choice. Took a lot longer to get Reverend Fish to give up control of that meeting house, though. In 1835, APES published a book called Indian Nullification of the Unconstitutional Laws of Massachusetts Relative to the Marsh P. Tribe, or The Pretended Riot Explained. This was a collected work of writing about the events in Mashpee, assembled in collaboration with the Mashpee community and representing the work and views of multiple people in the community. In a 2018 article in the European Journal of American Studies, Neil Meyer describes this work as, quote, both a reflection on the Christian Indian community and a model of its politics in action. The word nullification harkened back to the nullification crisis, which started in 1828 when South Carolina argued that a state had the right to block enforcement of federal laws in a dispute over federally imposed tariffs. Apis's formal connections to the Mashpee Wampanoag seem to have ended shortly after this. He had kept preaching through all of it, and he had gotten continual criticism in the press, along with accusations that he was raising money for charity work and keeping it for himself. He seemed to have been unfounded. He also had another dispute with Reverend Fish, in which Fish refused to let him use land for a camp meeting. At some point after all this, he left Cape Cod, although it seems like his wife and children stayed behind. Before we move on to the end of Apes's life, the eventual incorporation of Mashpee as a town was not the end of the Mashpee Wampanoag's efforts to protect their own land and identity as a tribe. In the 1970s, the Mashpee Wampanoag were trying to reclaim some of their ancestral lands, and a court ruled that they weren't a tribe anymore, that they had, quote, voluntarily assimilated into the general society, starting about a decade after the Mashpee Revolt. The Mashpee Wampanoag pushed back on this for decades until finally gaining federal recognition as a tribe in 2007. But the Mashpee Wampanoag have continued to face ongoing struggles with their federal recognition and tribal autonomy. We talked about this in our Unearthed episode for the first quarter of 2020 after the U.S. Secretary of the Interior announced that the tribe's reservation was going to be disestablished. They made... I'm still angry about this. They made this announcement at 4 p.m. on a Friday in the middle of a pandemic. A federal judge ended up issuing a pause on that order and described a 2018 court decision that it rested on, quote, arbitrary, capricious, an abuse of discretion, and contrary to law. 
In late December 2021, the Department of the Interior confirmed the status of the reservation, which includes land in Taunton and Mashpee. But residents of Taunton, where the Mashpee Wampanoag are working toward building a resort casino, are using those same arguments to oppose its construction. The events of the 1830s that we just talked about were also, of course, part of the legal arguments around all of this. And those arguments were kind of circular. The community of Mashpee had organized itself politically in the 1830s to advocate for their own autonomy successfully. And then opponents to the tribe's recognition argued that the end of that advocacy, which again ended because they had completed their objectives, signaled an end of the tribe. It's like you got what you were after. So you stopped asking for things, and that meant you're not a tribe anymore. We should also take a quick moment to circle back to Elias Boudinot. When William Apes met him, he was advocating against the forcible removal of the Cherokee from the southeastern United States. But he eventually came to believe that removal was inevitable and that instead the Cherokee should work to preserve their own rights and sovereignty as much as possible after moving west. Along with some other Cherokee, including his foreign mission school classmate John Ridge, Boudinot signed the Treaty of New Echota in 1835. This treaty surrendered 7 million acres of Cherokee ancestral land in the southeastern U.S. in exchange for $5 million in land in Oklahoma. There were only about 500 Cherokee involved in this treaty. Out of the nation's roughly 16,000 citizens, they did this without the participation or consent of Principal Chief John Ross. After this, most of the Cherokee were removed from the southeastern U.S. in a forced relocation that, of course, has become known as the Trail of Tears. And on June 22, 1839, after they had moved to Indian Territory, an unknown group of Cherokee attacked and killed Elias Boudinot, along with John Ridge and his father, Major Ridge. We will return to the last years of Apis's life after another quick sponsor break. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper... You're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. William Apis's last published work was A Eulogy on King Philip, which was both an address that he delivered at multiple venues and a book that he published. The first time that he gave this address was at the Odeon on Federal Street in Boston in 1836. As we talked about in part one, King Philip was colonist's name for Medicom, who was sachem of the Wampanoag Nation. Apis's grandmother had also told him that he was one of Medicom's descendants. In the 1670s, the Wampanoag Nation had fought against the English colonies and their indigenous allies in what came to be known as King Philip's War. The population of North America was much smaller than it is now, and this war has been described as the deadliest war in U.S. history in terms of per capita deaths. We did an episode about this in 2020. For centuries, the vast majority of English-language writing about this war and about Medicom portrayed him as a villain, with one exception being Washington Irving's 1819 Philip of Poconocet, which we talked about on the show last year. Apis, on the other hand, compared Medicom to men who were regarded as great in Western history. That included Alexander the Great, 
his father, Philip of Macedon, and George Washington. And he argued that Medicom was a patriot. Quote, I appeal to the lovers of liberty, but those few remaining descendants who now remain as the monument of the cruelty of those who came to improve our race and correct our errors, and as the immortal Washington lives endeared and engraven on the hearts of every white in America, never to be forgotten in time, even such is the immortal Philip honored, as held in memory by the degraded but yet grateful descendants who appreciate his character." So will every patriot, especially in this enlightened age, respect the rude yet all-accomplished son of the forest that died a martyr to his cause, though unsuccessful, yet as glorious as the American Revolution. Where, then, shall we place the hero of the wilderness? In this eulogy, Apis walked through the history of King Philip's people. Again, that was the colonist's name for Medicom. He talked about the arrival of the pilgrims and the deep hypocrisy and injustice that he saw in their actions. Quote, how they could go to work to enslave a free people and call it religion is beyond the power of my imagination and outstrips the revelation of God's people. O thou pretended hypocritical Christian, whoever thou art, to say it was the design of God that we should murder and slay one another because we have the power Power was not given us to abuse each other, but a mere power delegated to us by the King of Heaven, a weapon of defense against error and evil, and when abused, it will turn to our destruction. Mark, then, the history of nations throughout the world. He also explained the historical context for King Philip's War from multiple angles, including specific incidents of murders, thefts of corn from indigenous graves, broken treaties, and the death of Metacomet's brother Wamsuda, who the colonists called Alexander, possibly by poisoning. He also looked at this context more broadly, exploring social and political concepts that influenced all of these events. For example, he again criticized the removal of indigenous peoples from their lands. Quote, Why, my brethren, the poor missionaries want money to go and convert the poor heathen, as if God could not convert them where they were, but must first drive them out. If God wants the red men converted, we should think that he could do it as well in one place as in another. But must I say, and shall I say it, that missionaries have injured us more than they have done us good— by degrading us as a people and breaking up our governments and leaving us without any suffrages, whatever, or a legal right among men. Oh, what cursed doctrine is this? It most certainly is not fit to civilize men with, much more to save their souls, and we poor Indians want no such missionaries around us. But I would suggest one thing, and that is let the ministers and people use the colored people that they have already around them like human beings before they go to convert any more, and let them show it in their churches, and let them proclaim it upon the housetops. And I would say to the benevolent, withhold your hard earnings from them unless they do it until they can stop laying their own wickedness to God, which is blasphemy. Toward the conclusion of this piece, Apes says of Medicom, quote, Who was Philip that made all this display in the world, that put an enlightened nation to flight and won so many battles? It was a son of nature, with nature's talents alone. And who did he have to contend with? 
with all the combined arts of cultivated talents of the old and new world. It was like putting one talent against a thousand. And yet, Philip, with that, accomplished more than all of them. Yea, he outdid well-disciplined forces of Greece under the command of Philip, the Grecian emperor, for he never was enabled to lay such plans of allying the troops of Earth together as Philip of Mount Hope did, and even Napoleon patterned after him in collecting his forces and surprising the enemy. Washington, too, pursued many of his plans in attacking the enemy and thereby enabled him to defeat his antagonists and conquer them. What, then, shall we say? Shall we not do right to say that Philip, with his one talent, outstrips them all with their 10,000? William Apis argued for indigenous people's sovereignty in multiple contexts, but it's not always clear how he imagined that sovereignty would work in practice, and that's kind of true at the end of this piece. After tracing through centuries of injustice, including injustices and massacres that continued long after King Philip's war, and arguing that the, quote, civilization being offered by missionaries was not civil at all, Apis concluded, quote, And so all of my people have been treated, whether Christians or not. I say then, a different course must be pursued, and different laws must be enacted, and all men must operate under one general law. And while you ask yourselves, what do they, the Indians, want? You have only to look at the unjust laws made for them and say, they want what I want in order to make men of them good and wholesome citizens. And this plan ought to be pursued by all missionaries or not pursued at all. That is not only to make Christians of us, but men, which plan as yet has never been pursued. And when it is, I will then throw my might upon the side of missions and do what I can to favor it. But this work must begin here first, in New England. Had William Apes been able to continue this work through the Indian removal era and the Civil War, it might have clarified his thoughts on this in a more practical way. But not long after he first delivered this eulogy, he seems to have stopped preaching. He republished some of his earlier books, possibly just to try to make ends meet. Like many other people, after the Panic of 1837, he wound up in debt and he mortgaged most of his property, including his personal library of religious texts, some of them multi-volume works. He went to New York, possibly to get away from his creditors. He died in New York on April 10, 1839, at the age of only 41. He had been living in a boarding house in Lower Manhattan with a woman described as his wife, She's named as Elizabeth. He had reportedly been married to her for at least two years. There are some unanswered questions. It's possible that this was the woman he had already been married to, but with a different name given. It's possible that he had gotten divorced. We don't really know exactly what happened. His cause of death was listed as apoplexy, in other words, a stroke, and some of his neighbors described him as drinking very heavily in his last days. So for a long time, his death was described as alcohol-related. But biographer Philip Gura, whose The Life of William Apes Pequot came out in 2015, concludes that it was really acute appendicitis. Yeah, there were treatments that were given to him that seemed to suggest that that was really the cause and that it was not something that was related to drinking. The town of Coleraine, Massachusetts, recently made May 21st William Apis Day. That is the anniversary of the day that the Mashpee Declaration of Independence was issued. That was William Apis. 
Yes, indeed. I find him fascinating, and I love to get to read so much of his writing for this episode. Do you also love to get to read a listener mail? I do. I have I have listener mail from Hallie, and Hallie wrote in with a question, and I thought, you know, I'm going to answer this question in case other people have the same question. Hallie wrote, Hi, I love the podcast, and thanks so much for everything you do. On the most recent episode about Lucy Parsons, though, Tracy said that Jane Addams was so different from Lucy Parsons. Can you explain what you meant? I thought Jane Addams was a radical, and I know the FBI thought she was the most dangerous woman in America. That doesn't sound too different. Thanks again, Hallie. So, <laughs> there's huge overlap between the work of Jane Addams and the work of Lucy Parsons. They were both really focused on the lives and well-being of workers and immigrants and poor people, but their methods of going about those things were almost the opposite. Like, Jane Addams was a pacifist. She was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. She was a leader in the movement for women's suffrage. Lucy Parsons was telling people to learn the use of dynamite. <laughs> uh, and was, like, kind of mocking of, uh, of feminists and suffragists. Like, she really thought the whole political system needed to be overthrown completely and that the idea that women having the right to vote would, would solve anything, she thought that was kind of ridiculous. And sometimes the way that she spoke about this could be <laughs> pretty insulting. Um, so especially uh, the fact that on one hand we have a pacifist, on the other hand we had somebody that, like, called for active violence, like... That was just a totally different mindset of of the way that each of them were approaching work that had to do with the, you know, the lives uh, and and well being a lot of, of a lot of the same people. Um, we uh, did an episode, a two parter about uh, Jane Adams way back in the in the archive, which uh, talks more about a lot of that. Um, but yeah, that was what I meant when I was like, these they seemed a lot like the opposite was. Uh, the pacifism versus the violence, and then, like, the suffrage activism versus thinking suffragists were kind of ridiculous. Like, those were the biggest things that were immediately at the front of my mind when I said that. <laughs> so thanks so much for to Hallie for sending that note. If anybody else also had kind of question marks, now you know. Uh, if you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at History Podcasts at iHeartRadio.com. And you can also find us on social media at Miss in History. That's where you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on the iHeartRadio app and wherever else you like to get podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.